Okay, so today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and it's on page 984 of the Pew Bibles. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing in one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. We are in part eight. We're in part eight of our series on um, the vision of Revived Presbyterian, what our church is going to be about. Um, let me ask our, our brother to just throw that up there. Um, what our, our, value, our vision is. New, our brother John prayed it. New life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. And, then, um, and, and I've been preaching through our, our values, right? Um, I preached through gospel-centered and grace-driven and Christ. And we talk about making disciples. And we're on that fourth one, counter-cultural intergenerational family. And last week, I talked about us being family, what it means that we are to be a part of a body, that, um, you know, our society is not very good. We long for community, but um, we really don't know how to do it. But church, inherently, salvation is a we activity. And heaven is, heaven is a grand, great, and glorious family of all nations. And um, that's what I talked about last week. And, but it's a certain kind of family and a community. And, um, one, and, 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 uh, and one of the really important things is that its values are very different than the values of today and of, of this world and of our city. And so today I want to talk about the kind of family that we are, and particularly what, what we're going to call gospel counterculture. 
That's one of the things that we, like, we believe in a gospel counterculture. And so much of the passage that, um, that we heard that, uh, that we're going to focus on gives you a little, just, just snippets. I mean, it, it doesn't give you everything about it, but it gives you a sense of, like, how differently people redeemed in Jesus, the kind of community that, that, that we live in. And we answer to that, and, and, we are, and our, our identity rests in, in this new way of life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, let me just, just, just highlight one verse, and then I'll get into the meat of the sermon. The, that, that last verse, verse 17, right? the last verse says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I, I would say, in many ways, you want, what does a gospel counterculture, it's, it's with people that think about this and whatever you do in word or deed, the things you say, the words that we stand on and the things that we do. And so this isn't just about um, Sunday. We're not here to practice a religion. We're not here to do rituals. And if you do X, Y, Z rituals and then, you know, Monday through Saturday, then we just go and live our life. This is whatever you do in word or deed. There's a lot of different things that we as believers, people redeemed by Jesus, we don't do them the way our society does them. We don't think about them. The words that have captured us and shaped us are not the same words that that, that shape them. And they're not even the same words that should be dwelling in us. And then then the words that, you know, we're all all infected by the, the worldly ways, the ways that this passage calls of the earth, you know. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are earthly, that are passing away. And so uh, this is sort of like the thesis that, 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 that shapes out this um, gospel counterculture. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? Now, with that said, let's get into the counterculture. Right? Three, three parts. Part one, um, the real heavenly you united to the risen Christ. Right? Um, many of you think you know who you are. You believe that you're, you're in Christ. You know, one of the real challenges of what it means to be a Christian is that there's a habit of the way we were in the earthly, worldly ways that are dying. And we know that some of those things aren't good. And they're, like, they're still deeply, habitually part of how we think and how, how we react emotionally and how we just kind of you know, face the world. But um, that's not the real you. <laughs> Okay, the real you is the one in union to Jesus, right? So that's part one. Part two, the eternal heavenly ways over the dying earthly ways, right? So we'll, I'll, I'll unpack some of these, right? Part two, the eternal heavenly ways over the dying earthly ways. And then part three, the upside down kingdom and vulnerable forgiving love. It's sort of the biggest thing that makes us different. Vulnerable forgiving love. It's right at the center of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Right? Let's go to part one. Now, normally, um, if you, you know, many of you have heard a new number of my sermons, and you normally know that part one, I talk about some problem that we have in our life. And usually it goes back to how we're messed up, okay? I talk about, I, I, I talk about our sins, and by the way, that's just classic gospel preaching. You won't feel a need for Jesus until you first are convicted, 
man, I'm really that bad. That's really real. <laughs> and so usually I get after that. And you know, we, we talk about that honestly in part one. And then you're like, okay, can you get to the third part, Pastor Susan? Because that's where you're gonna tell us the good part, the, the, the gospel, and you're waiting for the, the good part. Surprise, today I'm gonna tell you the good part first. All right? We're gonna hear the good news first. And then what we're gonna hear in part two and three are the implications of why that good news reshapes our values and why we go out, why, why we go out life differently and it forms this counterculture, right? So let's get into the passage, um, Colossians 3, verse 1. Um, this isn't a passage that a lot of people tend to explicate. It is, it is talking about the gospel. Um, and the, the, the theology here is a little bit more complex, but it's actually really not that hard to understand, but it is mysterious. And let, let's get into it. Verse 1. Um, here's how he puts it. If then you have been raised with Christ. Let's, let, me just, let me emphasize that. It's past tense. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So right now, right now, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God. I mean, is, I mean, literally, I don't know if that, I mean, I just imagine it must be literal. The right hand is not as important that it's literally at his right, but the right hand is, a, is the seat of honor. And that's where Jesus is. If there is a literal seat, I mean, God is, uh, I don't exactly know how this all works, since God is omnipresent and also in heaven at the same time. I don't exactly know how those two things work. He's in heaven, that's his home, but he's also omnipresent because I don't know, the universe is like a ball that's, his, that's in his hand. I don't exactly know how that works, okay? But, but the Lord Jesus is seated, seated at his right hand. But then notice how the way it puts it. If you then have been raised with Christ, we know that Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago, and that he ascended, and then he was resurrected, and then he ascended, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. I mean, we, we, will, we say this in our, and we, that's not the profession of faith that we used um, this month, but we, we, we say this regularly in our church. And, but notice what it says, if you then have been raised, then it says, because of that, then you should set your minds on certain things. Now let me go on a little more. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's verse two. For you have, here we go again, past tense. For you have died. This is really important. And this, is, this gets a really deep core biblical theology. For you have died and your life is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So let's just stop for a moment here. Did you know that if you believe in Jesus, you've died? Did you know that? You're like, I'm still breathing, I'm still alive. How is it that I've died? Because the mystery of salvation is that your body and your life and this physicality and, 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 and that we're very temporal beings live in this time and this place. But you're the real deeper you, and, the, and you all know that there's something, you don't have to be a Christian to know that there's a difference between there's some kind of core you and there's something kind of like a secondary, lesser version of you. You know that your body is a part of you, 
And it is really you. I mean, you know, we get nervous, you know, if your if your body gets exposed or, you know, if, if you know if guys start losing their hair, you know, like there's like too much unsightly fat. It's really you. But it, it isn't like the deepest core you. Right? And your your deepest real you, according to the Bible, something has happened mysteriously that has something to do with what has happened to Jesus. When he died on the cross, when you embraced Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you heard that he did something on the cross that paid for my sins. He was risen from the dead. Somehow that enables me to rise and then also to have eternal life. You believed in that, and it was, it's all been gifted to you as grace. And somewhere along life, many of you heard that message called the gospel, and you believed in it. But what we often tend to not think is that, okay, now who you are, I don't know if you realize this, it's hidden. <laughs> That's the way the Bible puts it. So we're living our life, and you're like, I know who I am. Actually, you probably don't. <laughs> you know that? I know who I am. I am me, and I, I, you know, I figured out, I mean, you know, younger people, they probably go, I kind of don't know who I am. They don't know. But as you grow a little older, you start thinking you know who you are. But the Bible actually says that who you really are is someone that died, that mysteriously somehow when Jesus died on the cross, you died. And that when he was risen, somehow, mysteriously, you were also risen. The real you, that's the real you. So then let's, uh, let's, let's go on to one more verse. So verse 4, when Christ, who is your life? When you have passages like this that start to explicate the deep core gospel, these are, the most, these are some of the most profound words, period. You know, we, we, we start off, um, do every, in everything, in word and in deed, live for Jesus. What words will shape who you are? I mean, some of you, you know, your mom told you when you were real little, you're really special, you're real little special, Johnny, and those are the words that shaped you. Some of you, maybe your mom told you you're nothing and nobody's ever going to care about you. And those are the words that shaped you. Maybe it wasn't your mom and dad, but maybe it's your boss. So if your boss tells you you're dumb and you're nothing and, who, and that's why I didn't promote you. Well, if, that, if they say that to you, those are the words that shape you. What will be the words that you believe that really tell you who you really are? Do you want it to be your mom? Or your boss. Your mom is an important person. Well, let me tell you, your mom is very, very fallible <laughs> and sinful. <laughs> because we all are. But even though, you, I'm, I'm not trying to insult your mom, okay? <laughs> your mom is probably a wonderful mom, right? But your mom was a normal human being. What you really need is a word, the biggest word from the biggest person. It's God's word. <laughs> Can you believe that this word tells you who you are? Verse 4, so Christ, who is your life? Your life isn't the money you make, the pleasures you have, how great your family is, everything that you achieve, this is my life. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you know who is your life? It's Christ. <laughs> when Christ, who is your life, appears, because he's going to return, I hope you all believe that, then you, the real you, <laughs> You will appear. You'll actually see who you actually are. <laughs> the real you will appear. It's kind of strange. You're like, okay, I think I know who I am, so I need to see who I am. Actually, you do. 
you will finally see who you are because you will see that Christ is your life. And when Christ is your life, then you will appear with him, here's the last, in glory. In glory. Let me put it a little differently. You will appear, like all of us are afraid that who we really are, people will find out. <laughs> and so we go out into the world, you put on the clothes, and you put on the, I, I use molding clay. Okay, that's why how my hair fits, okay? I use molding clay. I don't use gel because it's greasy and gross. I use molding clay, and I put it on this morning, and, you know, I, I put on my skinny pants because that's the cool stuff, and I set out into the world, and, and, you know, you don't know what gross, dirty things are inside because I have them hidden, <laughs> right? And so do you. <laughs> but the real me has a lot of, like, you know, some good stuff, which I try to show up to you, and then some pretty bad stuff. But some of the stuff that's in this passage, malice, anger, racism, you know, there's stuff about sex. I have like some gross sexual desires. That's in me. But you know what Jesus, what the gospel says? That's not really me. Those parts of me have died with Christ. Isn't that incredible? They died. When he died, all the most horrible parts of you, the parts that are like, this is really me. When I go out into the world, nobody can know those things about me. In other words, the real me will show up with Christ in glory, in glory. So what we're trying to do, I have a little bit of glory. I'm a little bit of smart. You know, everything that makes me look good, let me try to accentuate, because, you know, that's what, like, combing your hair and, like, shaving and putting on your makeup, that's what it's all about. It's like accentuating all your best features, so you have a little bit of glory, you know, you're not like, the, you know, you're not a supermodel here, all right, so not lots of glory, only a little bit of glory, <laughs> okay? And so, you know, whatever your little bit of glory you get, we got to, like, try to accentuate, right? But do we know what the Bible, so, but mostly we think, that, we, we, that who you are is, you know, what, what's the opposite of glory? Of dishonor and shame. Most of us don't want people to really see us and be vulnerable because who we are is in shame. Right? But what the Bible says is, if you have been united to Jesus through faith, you know what unites you to Jesus? Faith. Believe in him. Give your life to him. And then he, he, he gifts you to say, You're, you belong to me. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm holding on to you. I know you're, you're, you sometimes let go of me, but I hold on to you. We're covenantally united. Do you know what can break the covenantal union between you and Jesus? It's a promise. It's a promise from God. We make that promise, and then he makes that promise, and then we break that promise, but he never breaks his promise. And then we're in covenantally united, and so he says what happened in there is that your own, that somehow mysteriously, when he was on that cross, every gross, shameful thing of you died. And then he was risen in glory. And then, but guess what? You're risen in glory. He's up there. When you're looking up there, you should be looking at, that's who I, who I really am. And then when he ar 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 arises, when he comes, when we actually see him, 
you also will appear. That means you don't, you're not quite appeared. You're like, I, I don't really quite see this person in me. You also will appear in glory. Not just his glory, your glory in him. The resurrection is a glorious, is a glorious life. It's his life that we share. And who you really are, that's what's, that's, that's what's really going on. You know what all this is? It's the gospel. Does this sound good to you? I sure hope it sounds good to you. Now, we wake up in the morning and we mostly feel our shame. On Monday, you'll go, oh, gosh, you know, here we go. My boss is going to kick me around today. <laughs> you know, you know my, my, my wife didn't particularly want to have sex with me last night. <laughs> and because, because I'm me, <laughs> that's how we think, right? But the real you, but what the passage says is don't set your eyes on the earthly stuff, including your earthly self. That's what it actually says. Don't set your eyes on your earthly self. Look above to where he's seated because that's where your real you is. That's the gospel. So within that, so before, now the, the, now the rest of the sermon, I'm going to tell you how the Christian lives in light of that. And if you go and listen to what I'm going to say for the rest of the sermon, it's like, okay, now I have to become a good do-gooder. No, you have not listened to this sermon. You, first, first, something glorious has been done in you. You are already this person. Okay? I know you're like, I don't feel like this person. I'm a really dumpy, bad person. <laughs> in faith, by grace, grace, this is, this is done in you. This is who you actually are. Now, you actually have the power to begin to live in this. <laughs> And you may fall down two times, five times, a hundred times, but this can never be taken from you. Okay? It can never be taken from you. This glorious self of who you already are in Christ, you already are this. Will you live in it? Will you choose to believe in it and then embrace the heavenly ways? So let's go to part two. Okay. The eternal heavenly ways over the dying earthly ways. Okay, so let's, let's go to the next portion. Verse, verse five. So, put to death therefore. I mean, the reason it says put to death therefore is because, you know, Greek people, they like to put the, we like to put the therefore at the beginning. <laughs> they like to just throw the therefore in after a couple words. So let's use it more kind of standard English. All this stuff, let's go back to verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, you, the real you, will appear in glory. The glorious you, you will finally see. Okay? Now, verse 5, therefore, because of what? Because of that. Therefore, now let's live a certain way. So, well, let's list some of them. So this is what, how the gospel counterculture thinks. Everybody first is in faith to the gospel. Then, therefore, there's a real you. You should stop acting like the dying, fake, shameful you. The shameful you is not the real you. Let me just say a couple things about this. You know one of the things that we're doing in church I mean, C.S. Lewis calls it the great pretend. 
but it's actually the pretend in faith. We're going to pretend that we're actually that. But he's actually saying the thing that we pretend is the thing that's real. That's what he teaches. You know what we do when we show up in church? You meet another person, you're like, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> I can see you're, you know, you're always comparing and you think you're better than me. And thus, since you think you're better than me, you're not. I'm better than you. <laughs> that's what we, that's, we don't actually say that out loud. That's just how we think, okay? So like, you know, then we're like, of course, we feel really good about that part because we like feeling better than other people, right? And then what we do, but you know what we have to do is we believe that we're the real us is something more than this. And then when we show up to the other person, they believe in Jesus. You're like, do you really believe in Jesus? I sure hope you do. <laughs> Sometimes I don't see much evidence. You know, we do in faith, we treat them like their real better self. <laughs> and we call them to their real better self. And to put it away. So let's just look at some of the things we put away. It seems like a long, big list, and I'll just try to break it down into certain categories, all right? So, here are some of the heavenly ways, not the earthly ways. It says, don't look at the earthly ways and the earthly self. Look at your heavenly ways and your heavenly self. So, therefore, put to death, let's go to verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. How about sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, so... Okay, you know, the first one, that's like really offensive to our society. Sexual, these Christians are so darn all the time constantly fixated on sex. Well, because it's really important. It has something to do with manhood and womanhood and how men and women start to interact. It has something to do with good marriage. And it has something to do with how to have sustained men. If you can't put this away, let's say you don't cheat on your wife, your girlfriend, and you, get, you actually get a girl to actually marry you. Good job. Right? You actually convinced a girl to like actually want to spend the rest of your life with you. And while you were dating her, you never cheated on her. And then you married her and you don't cheat on her. But then about four years in, you start getting kind of like feeling bad about yourself because you're not advancing well in work and your wife isn't as pleased with you as she was when she was dating you. And then so you start looking at like naked girls of your particular taste on the computer. And then, or on your phone, or whatever is that, that is your choice, well, now you're cheating on her. <laughs> okay, I haven't done the worst thing. I haven't actually cheated on her. But now your desire is going in that place. And then, probably, when your marriage starts tanking in words, then you will cheat on her. But then by the time you cheat on her, you're like, she was so bad, you we get to justify it. <laughs> so we're like, it was bad because I needed to like fall in love with somebody else because she doesn't love me anymore. Now, why do I say that? Because it's happening. That is the way of this world. That is the earthly way. And so the reason I say that is not to like be mean about it or something like that, but that's not the heavenly way. <laughs> that's not the resurrected Jesus' way. Your way. It's not your way. <laughs> the real you says, you know what? I have a temptation to cheat on my wife or to like sleep around before I've even met my wife, which is also just cheating on her before the fact. Because we do sex differently. That's one way. Um, I, heard, I heard this a number of years ago from Tim Keller. He says, um, in the world, uh, what, we, what we are is we're, we're very stingy with our money, <laughs> but we're, we're generous with our body. We're stingy with our money, 
You know, that's, that's the way of our city, right? You know, you Tinder, get the app, Tinder. That's like, like I, hear, I hear that's basically the, 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 the hookup app, right? I don't have that app, and I'm not going to use that app, but that's pretty much what I, I read a really, like, horrifying article <laughs> about this. And that's the way of our city, right? It, who, for all I know, it was invented right here in this city. And, um, but stingy with our money, generous with our body. And Tim Keller says, actually, the Bible teaches us the other way around. We are very stingy with our body. Why? Because we said to one person, I will forsake all others. I will never use you. I will now give my body to you. I'll give myself to you. That's what sex is. It's self-giving. And I don't give my, I don't actually love all kinds of people like this. One special person, I only love you this way and fully give myself to you. In fact, I will die for you even. That's what marriage is. And, but with money, but with money, well, it's just an earthly thing. (laughs) Does money have any worth in your resurrected life? (laughs) Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how much money you have now. Whether you have a million dollars, when you die, you're going to like pass on the house that you bought, which by then will probably cost $10 million because this is Silicon Valley, all right? You bought this house for a million dollars, but it'll probably cost a, it'll be worth $10 million, but it'll be, all of it will be worthless in the resurrection. So why don't we use that thing now to be generous? This is the countercultural gospel way. How about some of these other ones? Okay, all right, so they're all about sex. How about impurity? Passion, evil desire, and covetousness, right? So just, just let me just say quickly some things about this. Impurity. We're not just talking about sexual impurity. All kinds of impurity. So you tell your boss, hey, I really care about this company, <laughs> you know, and I care about our mission. Total garbage. <laughs> all I really want is, well, I just want to use you so that you'll make money, and then I'll advance my career. And so all that stuff where you, like we say, I really don't really actually care about the mission of my company. Impurity. That's impurity. That's impurity. Completely normal in our city, but it's not the Lord's way. It's not the Lord's way. Um, Passion, by the way, in our, okay, this word in the Greek, it's always bad. (laughs) It's always bad, okay? We, We use the word passion as a really deep, deep, passionate desire, but passion, the older definition is, is a desire that's misplaced. It's out of, it's disordered. So you're like, I have a great passion for automobiles. I love cars. I just love cars. You know, like my, my, I was over, you know, over at, at one of our members' house, and we were joking how about how my wife, you know, she shows up at a car, and because it's white, and she goes, oh, it's the wrong car. I'm like, that would never happen to me because I always know what every car is, okay? But, you know, what if you loved your car more than you loved your son? <laughs> Recently, our family watched the, um, the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Any of you guys ever watched that movie? <laughs> and in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, Ferris, his best friend, his father, loves a classic Ferrari more than he loves his son. The Bible calls that passion. This, this, that, that word in the Greek, we, we translated passion. I don't know if it's the best. We should, we, I don't know, because passion doesn't have to mean, because we use it in a better way. It's been translated that. I'm not sure if it's the best word. Call it wicked passion. Because the car is above your kid. <laughs> that says, put those things away. <laughs> a 
Let's go to um. Let's 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 go. Let's let, let's jump forward a little bit. All right. Uh, verse seven. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Put them away. Um, you know we put them away and then they come back. You know what that means? Put them away again. And then they put them away and they come back. Put them away again. Do you know? I want to let me say something to you. I always lose. I put the I put the, the covetousness away. <laughs> covetousness is, is, is idolatry. <laughs> you know that? You're like, I really want a Tesla just like him. That's idolatry. <laughs> it's like saying, like, this thing will fill your heart more than God. But it's wrong. It's like one of the big ten. You know that? But let me say something to you. If you put it away, and then you have to put it away again because it keeps coming back, put it away again, put it, you know what's going to happen? You will practice putting it away. Whatever you practice a lot, you get good at. You know why? We, we, you know, okay, so next one. What's some of the things that we're supposed to put away? Anger. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Slander. Obscene talk from the mouth. Okay, you know, we're supposed to put these things away. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't, need, to, you don't need to know that you're supposed to put it away. But you know why we don't put them away? Because they come back. Anger. Obscene talk, malice. So you're driving on the road, and it all happens all at the same time. Anger, <laughs> obscene talk, malice. Okay? It all just like, boom. It all, I mean, you, you don't even have to think about it. It just shows up. Boom. It, it happens, right? And uh, I've taught my son so well, I'm, he's starting to do it too. Right? It's like grass. Okay? And, um, and um, so why don't we put them away? Because they come back, and you know why they come back? Because we like them. We actually like being angry. We like feeling better. We have malice. That means you have a bad feeling toward that other driver or to your coworker or when your wife snubs you to your wife or sometimes to your kid. Huh. That's, that's a tough one. We like the anger. And then we feel good about all those words that are coming out of mouth. I mean, you don't have to say the F word. You could say obscene words without using the F word or all the bad words. You could say even nice sounding words, but you say them with malice and with an obscenity. And you know what? It's all coming out of there. And we don't put them away because we're like, oh, I can't put that away. I can never put that away. Let me challenge you. You could put it away. Why? Because who you really are is in Christ. That's the gospel. Who you really are is risen, so you can put it away. So put it away. You're like, well, then I'll have to put it away literally like a thousand times. Then you'll get really good at it. And the more you do it, the less you'll have to do it because you'll get good at it. Everything that you practice again and again, you get good at. And then these things won't come back. So we've now talked about you know, out-of-control desires and sexual desires and covetousness. Let's, let's just talk a little bit about anger and malice. You know what? This is always, and especially, let me give you a tip. How do you know if a person has anger and malice? It's usually not that hard. It comes out of their mouth. <laughs> oh, we can't judge other people. Yeah, you can. <laughs> when I say judge, I'm not talking about condemning. I'm talking about, like, rightful discernment. You can discern if a person has bad stuff. You know why? It comes out of their mouth comes out of their mouth. And so, let's learn to control our mouth, which is a step toward, because the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And the reason why we have to put these things away, you know what you're doing? You're trying to reorder your heart to be a real you. There is in you. The Christ-filled you. And so the dying you, put it away. <laughs> put it away. And let me, you know, we haven't, I haven't even talked about the deepest thing part here about the malice and the anger. Right? But anger is often about pride. Anger is often about being right. Let me, just, add, let me just, just challenge you. Be right, but maybe be right with Jesus. Be right in Christ, and then maybe you can admit the part where you're wrong. <laughs> being with Christ is actually more important than being right. And then you can put it away. That person cut you off. Yeah, it was rude. Right? But do you have to put out the middle finger and give them the malice? Maybe you're right. You just dare you cut me off. And that was, you almost caused an accident and my kid is in the car. Are you, how dare you? You deserve to die because you almost got, got us killed. And well, if it's only by the law, you may be right. But how about at the law with the gospel? It's less important to be right. Because Christ said, I was right, but I put it away. I, put this, I, I had anger and wrath against you, and the Father dissipated all away <laughs> with the cross. And so let the cross sit in the real you with Christ, dissipate the anger away, and then do truth in love. Not just truth. The truth is, I'm better than you, and you're bad. <laughs> How about the truth in love in Christ? All right, a couple more, all right? Um, it goes on. It goes on to say, um, so do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's verse 9. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You're getting knowledge. <laughs> okay. And hopefully your mind and your heart's getting renewed. And now let's, let's, do one, um, let's do two more. So here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. You know what it is? So let's, let's, put up an, let's put another thing away that's just so common to the world. Let's put our racism away. Let's put our status away. So I'm free, you're a slave. I have a higher status than you. I'm Jew, you're Greek. I know the things of God, you don't. I'm not sure, you know, Scythian. I think that there was barbarians and then there were Scythians. You know what a barbarian is? As a person who doesn't know any Greek. You know what a person who doesn't know any Greek? They know nothing of the Greek civilization. They're lower. <laughs> because then they th they, their language would be like bar, 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 bar. So that's how this word comes from. But everybody looked down on them. And then they looked down on the worst version of all the barbarian Scythians. <laughs> there was like barbarians and then there's like Scythians. <laughs> These are the grossest ones. Everybody hated them. You know what, and you know what Paul says? We're all in Christ. I put these things away. And you know, that's not easy because we're constantly looking at them in their earthliness and ourselves. And as soon as we know we're better, then, oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Different skin color, weird smelling food. You don't know anything about our culture. You, uh, that's the equivalent of the barbarian. And the people that seem even more rude, they're the Scythians. But do you realize this thing that we talk about in Revive, multi-ethnic church, reaching the nations? 
It's completely normal. We didn't invent this. It's right here. It's counterculture. Here it is. Heavenly ways. Let me close with, um, you know, obviously there's a lot. But let me close with uh, this, last, this last one, which I, I, I just love, verse 12. So this is part three of the message. Upside down kingdom and um, forgiving, vulnerable, forgiving love. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You can put that on because that's who you really are. Compassionate heart. You choose it. You know, we don't wake up in the morning with compassionate heart. You put it on. Put on the compassionate heart. Put on kindness, humility. You're like, that ethnicity of people are really bad drivers. But you know what? They're really smart people, too. Humility. Meekness. We hate meekness. Meekness. But Jesus was meek. And patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. And then you know why he says to forgive? Because Jesus forgave you, the gospel. So you should, you must forgive one another. So let me close this today. Um, we hate meekness. And if we bear somebody else's sins, you know what people will say? How could you let that person walk all over you? Wait a second. Didn't they do you wrong, but they did you wrong again and again and again? Why would you forgive them? So in our culture, being strong, having power, don't let anybody ever touch you. You must be invulnerable. That is the way of our city. That's the earthly way. But the heavenly way is be meek. Bear up. Forgive. Have compassionate hearts. Humility. That's the heavenly way. And all of us, man, we're terrible at it. We're terrible at it. But you know what? Let me, let me encourage you. Even though we're terrible at it, it's okay. You know what? We can put off the old way and we can put this on. And you know what it's asking for? It's asking for vulnerability. Weakness. Love. Forgive. Forgive. They wronged me. I got to cut them out. I got to get them back. I can't. No. No. But somebody if else, if they thought of you that way, would only end up in this hell of the earthly way. You know, Christianity is very weird. It's completely upside down. If we treat someone this way, you will be vulnerable. Let me say you something. Real love is vulnerable. I'm going to give you a quote, and I'm going to tell you a brief story, and then let's close. Wiser man than me put it this way. Ready? Got it up there? This is Lewis from his book, C.S. Lewis from his book, Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable, to be meek, to bear up. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. It's going to happen. Christians are going to be people whose hearts will become wrung and broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Don't even love a dog. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. That is the Silicon Valley way. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is, horrible word, damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love, all the little dangers of love, is hell. The way of earth is to build hell. The way of Christ is to bring heaven. And I'm going to close with this story, and I'll try to tell it briefly. And some of you already heard this story, and I just, it's just so relevant, and I, I want to share it again. There's a brother. He used to go to this church. Some of you know him. And he's had a profound testimony. His, uh, his parents were divorced when he was young. His father was abusive, and he used to beat his mom. And he once said, there was a time in my life, after they got divorced, you know, he ended up with mom. There was a time in my life, if I ever met my dad, the only thing I'd want to do is murder him. <laughs> I'd kill him and go to prison and consider it perfectly worthwhile. He said that. That's exactly how I felt. He's a Christian. <laughs> this guy went to church. Full on believed in Jesus. <laughs> Fully believed in the infallibility of the Bible, the whole shebang. But this is how he was toward his own father. Then years later, he went to church. They believed in the gospel. They believed in living in the counterculture of the heavenly ways of the gospel. So he was in a small group. There was a, it was like, I think a sister in the small group had some great hatred against a family member because they were deeply wronged by that family member. And she began to wrestle with forgiveness, <laughs> compassionate heart, meekness. Jesus forgave me. And she went through a difficult period, and yet she conquered and put the malice away and forgave her family member. And then this led him to conviction to begin to go to a place where instead of having malice and anger and hatred against my dad and wanting to murder him, maybe I could forgive him and actually love him. And he asked his whole small group to pray, pray, pray. And they prayed that compassionate heart would arise in his heart. And he would open up a relationship to his father. And he called his dad. <laughs> That was a super scary day. And it was okay. And then his father was overjoyed because he knew his son had cut him out. And then bit by bit, they started to have a relationship. His father had gotten remarried. His father had put away. His father had you know, come to faith and had put away the violence. So he, he actually, then with his new wife, he actually had a son. So then this brother actually gained another brother. He's a great older brother to this his other brother. And then he introduced to his father, his wife, and his children. And regularly today, he goes and visits his dad. It's the heavenly way. 
is the gospel way. It's not a pipe dream. It happens. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of church we're going to be. Our city needs this church. They're building hell and death in their little hobbies where they let nobody touch themselves. <laughs> and they're building irredeemability in their heart. What we need to let them is, you're a human being made to be glorious. And one day, if you meet Jesus and believe in him, one day your real self will come in glory. <laughs> we believe in that. And so we want to offer you vulnerable, forgiving love, and you will hurt us. And then we will wrestle hard to forgive you because he has forgiven us. And glorious things will happen. The stuff of heaven will start to happen in our church and in our city. It's what we believe in to revive. Let's pray. We're rife with malice and pride and covetousness and sexual immorality, lots of obscene talk. Some of us do cleaned up obscene talk. We use our gossip and our slander with no cuss words at all. <laughs> we use polite words and yet filled with wickedness. Jesus, how could you love such a people? How could you love such lack of glory, such filled with filth and shame? This is who we know we really are. There's a, a little bit of glory and a lot of shame. And yet, Lord Jesus, you were crucified so that all the shame and all these gross, dirty parts of how we are can die. And you can give us a new self, our real self, the one that will last forever and ever. So help us today. No, we keep thinking that the malice will never go away, the anger will never go away, the covetous will never go away, the greed will never go away. The unforgiveness, I can't put that away. But this is but a blink. This is but a blink. These will all die. In fact, they have already died. So let us kill them with you, in you, and let us set our eyes on heavenly things and put on compassionate hearts, put on vulnerable, forgiving love in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, because in you is our real self in glory. Can this be true? Can it be true? We love you. If this could be true, this could be true. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving this little church, this little church that's gone through so much, this set of people loved by you, made glorious by you. Help us to believe this and live in this and be a heavenly counterculture for you and with you and for our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.